1: This is the Danny Parkins Show. Thanks for hanging out on the Danny Parkins Show. CBS Sports Radio, radio.com. Sports coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studio. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way to provide a seamless mortgage experience. My name is Danny Parkins, at Danny Parkins on Twitter. Do this show every Sunday night. Been doing it since January. And uh, I love it in football season, man. I love it year round, but. In football season especially, it's just great. Prep for the show is basically wake up, watch sports all day, come in, talk to you guys for four hours about it. It's beautiful. I love it. So these Sunday shows are going to largely be recapping the day in football. But as it has turned to Monday in the Eastern and Central time zone, I, began, I believe it is never too early to look ahead to the following week in the NFL. And here's a big part of the reason why. I am a fan of gambling on sports, incentivizing it. But even if you're not, it doesn't matter. What you need to understand about gambling on sports when you see all this content about legalization and all that, it's very simple. Gambling on sports is a market. Just like picking a stock. You're going to be long on a team, you're going to be short on a team. You're buying a stock, you're shorting the stock. That's all it is. So Carolina, Thursday night football against Tampa. Minus six and a half. Carolina, six and a half point favorite. Means got to win by seven or more if you want to bet on Carolina. Tampa's either got to win or lose by uh, Six or less for Tampa to win. Over under 50 and a half. They expect that game to be relatively high scoring. It's just a market. Expected to get action on either side. It's getting more and more legalized. Next week I'll be doing a, a radio.com gambling fantasy show Sunday morning. So I'll be doing a Sunday morning show from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Sunday morning. Then going home watching nine hours of football, then hosting from 9P to 1A. So my football Sundays in NFL season are going to be about 17, 18-hour days for your boy. It's going to be great. Cannot wait. I'm unbelievably excited for it. That's the You Better You Bet show on Radio.com. But the best way to make money gambling on football, and it's unbelievably hard, I've been betting on sports since I was 16 years old. I'm 32. I've literally been doing it for half my life. I've had two winning football seasons. Thankfully, one of them was last year. And as I've been uh, making more money as I've gotten older, it was a fairly profitable year. It covered for some of the early losing seasons. But I'm still very clearly down overall. I'm not in any way pretending to be an expert other than I know how to talk it. I know how to hopefully make it entertaining and explain it in relatively simple terms. But the number one key... To making money, betting sports, is line optimization, which means finding the best line. Most people, 90%, 80% of the action that comes in on these games comes in Sunday morning. People wake up, they're like, who's playing? What's the line? And then they bet that day. That's when the public is betting the games. Sometimes the sharp betters are betting then at the end too because they're anticipating a line movement. But a lot of times what will happen is if you know which way the public is going to drive a game, betting it on, betting next Sunday's game today, that's the best opportunity. The lines are already out for next week. So let's do our quick look ahead. Thursday night, I just said, Carolina 6.5 against Tampa. My first lean there is actually the under on 50-and-a-half. The under came in in the Tampa-San Francisco game today. People talked about that game as being a shootout. There were two offensive touchdowns in a 31-to-17 game. There was some horrible defense. So, Jameis Winston might throw picks, but he's not always going to throw pick sixes. And Thursday night games after a first game, you're going to be sore, quick turnaround. No long travel for either team, but if I had a lean there, I'd lean on the under in that game. Indy at Tennessee. This is a straight Tennessee minus three. Total of 44 points for the over-under. Nothing jumps out at me right away. That strikes me as something that might not have a whole heck of a lot of movement. That seems like the right line. Although I do think Indianapolis is underrated as an organization given the Andrew Luck news. So I do I am a little bit more bullish on Indianapolis than most people seem to be post-Andrew Luck. So if I had any lean, it might be in Indy's direction, but I don't think that line's moving much. Chargers minus three on the road in Detroit. So this is a road favorite. Always got to be wary of those. Detroit absolutely collapsed against Arizona today. Not going to be as susceptible to the mobility of a quarterback given uh, Phillip Rivers. Not mobile, but Chargers clearly the better team. But on the road, home opener for the Lions. If anything, I could see a little Chargers money coming in there, but not expecting that one to move too much. Buffalo is a a two-and-a-half point favorite on the road against the Giants. Man, I hate when I like road favorites. I think the Giants are awesome. Awful. I'll need to do a little bit more research into Buffalo's road uh run defense in that one because if I know anything about New York, there are going to be approximately 272,000 calls and questions about why Pat Shermer only gave Saquon Barkley the ball um eleven times today. Let me pull that up real quick. What did Le'Veon Bell had like what 60 yards rushing today? If I want to I want to say something. Something I mean, pretty good in the run-pass game. But let's pull up the old the Jets-Bills box score. Yeah, Le'Veon Bell, 17 carries, 60 yards rushing. Three and a half yards a carry. They ran for 3.2 yards per carry as a team. Good early indication on the Bills' run defense. Yeah, it's, uh, I like that. Buffalo minus two and a half in New York. They're not giving it to Daniel Jones yet. I think that's that might be a Buffalo play for me. Baltimore is a 13.5-point favorite next week against Arizona. Total of 42.5. So that's a low-scoring total with two of the most exciting, young, mobile, multi-threat quarterbacks in the NFL in Kyler Murray against Lamar Jackson, if I had a lean, because I like Baltimore a lot, that strikes me as an overreaction. That strikes me as too many points. I don't think Arizona is good. In fact, I think they're awful. But I do think Kyler Murray is going to be a problem for people. Though Baltimore's defense does, as we talk this through, they get to practice against Lamar Jackson, so they should be ready for the Less experienced version of Lamar Jackson that is Kyler Murray, so I would think that Baltimore's defense at home would be pretty well suited for Kyler Murray. But Kyler did get, you know, two touchdown drives, two two point conversions late against Detroit, so he got going a bit. Thirteen and a half. My guess is before today's game that would have been nine and a half. That's probably a four point reaction to one game. That's too much, especially because Miami is the worst team in the NFL very clearly. And if anyone didn't see the report, apparently multiple players on the Dolphins asked to be traded from the Dolphins after the game. Speaking of the Dolphins, they are 14.5-point underdogs at home against New England. I can almost guarantee you that line's going to go up. Antonio Brown, that signing will become official probably tomorrow. People will see that Dolphins total. They'll see the result of the game tonight against Pittsburgh. My guess is that game goes off at 17 points. So if you want to bet that one, I'd bet that early. I'd bet New England right now. But if you want to bet Miami and think that's an overreaction the other way, I'd wait until closer to kickoff. There's no way Miami money's coming in early. Dallas minus 5.5 at Washington. My guess is that number goes down. My guess is a little bit of Washington money comes in. Had the game in hand against Philly. A lot of the country watching it. A lot of people watch the Dallas game too, but home team, big home dog like that in the division when Washington looked pretty solid, assuming Dak Prescott doesn't replicate it. My guess is if you want to bet Dallas, I'd wait until later in the week. My guess is that goes off at closer to four and a half or certainly five, but I think you got a little bit of value in waiting on Dallas there if you like it. But if you want Washington, I'd bet them immediately. Next game, Jacksonville at Houston. Boy, by the way, I love... Today, how great was Red Zone today? Seven games early, five games late, primetime Sunday night football game, and then we got two Monday night games tomorrow. Enjoy it now because we got no buys yet, even though there's a Thursday game this week. Enjoy it now because starting in two weeks, we're going to have buys, and there's only going to be three games on in that afternoon slate on Red Zone. It's going to get a little dicey. Jacksonville at Houston. Houston minus nine and a half the early line, but we got to see how that goes out tomorrow. Probably not available in most of your offline shops, given that the uh, Texans Saints game hasn't happened. We'll skip that one for now. Seattle Pittsburgh Steelers minus four and a half is the very early line, but obviously the Sunday night game just ended. Um, My guess is that comes down a little bit potentially, But Pittsburgh at home and Roethlisberger at home, a totally different team than on the road historically, and everybody in the world knows that. So Pittsburgh always gets a ton of love in the gambling community at home. San Francisco. These are all my first time just looking at the line. I just pulled it up. So we're going through this together. San Francisco minus two, total of 45 at Cincinnati. Yeah, that's a stay away. That, game, that that Tampa-San Francisco game was all sorts of fluky. I didn't get a good read on either team, and I watched a lot of that game because Jameis in Fantasy for two teams, that didn't go so well. Minnesota-Green Bay, classic division game. Minnesota looked dominant. It's in Lambeau. Packers with extra rest. Teams know each other well. Packers defense looks really good against the Bears. Was that the Packers defense that's new with uh, – the their eight new starters, or was it the Bears' offense being so terrible? Vikings' run game looked incredible, That, but that was in the Dome at home. This will be on the grass on the road with less time to prepare. I I got to be honest, I lead Minnesota there. Minnesota's got the defense, the running game. I don't know that the rest and the quarterback makes up enough of that difference for Green Bay. I think I'd probably take the Vikings on the road there catching the three chiefs minus nine bet against the chiefs at your own will that line is up high uh over oakland let's see how oakland looks against denver tomorrow but my guess is oakland loses to denver and the chiefs go off as a double digit favorite so if you can get that line right now before oakland plays i'd bet the chiefs because there's no way that's getting below eight so i'd lock in the chiefs at nine because it's probably going to go off at double digits then we've got saints rams God, that's a great game. That is a great game. NFC Championship rematch in the 425 Eastern slot. Week two right out the chute. Oh, boy. That's a good game. Rams minus three at home. All right, so just a different venue than the, uh, than the NFC title game. I got no lean there. That game's definitely not moving, by the way. That game... I mean, depending on what happens to New Orleans, obviously, tomorrow night, if New Orleans suffers a big injury or looks terrible or something like that. But New Orleans will not be a huge dog in that game, barring a big injury. That game's probably staying at three. But I guess maybe a little early to tell. If Houston rolls them, it could change. Denver minus one against Chicago. No over-under that I see available for that game. Not sure why that would be in terms of injury. That's going to be a low total, though, with those two defenses. Vic Fangio coaching the Broncos, their pass rushers, how bad Trubisky looked, the quality of the Bears' defense. My guess is that'll be the lowest total on the board of the week, maybe 39, 40 points total. Philly, Atlanta, 51 is your total, a straight-up pick them. Atlanta at home laying an egg. They probably would have been a two, three-point favorite against Philly at home a week ago. So that's a pretty big overreaction to uh, this game. But every time I bet Atlanta, I lose. But I got to be honest, I like Atlanta in that game against Philly. Though Philly's willingness to run the ball might replicate what the Vikings did today. So Atlanta's got to figure that part of it out. But Sunday night in the Dome for the Falcons, I think I like the Falcons to win that game in a shootout. And then Browns-Jets, Monday night football. Browns a a two-and-a-half-point road favorite against the fighting Sam Darnold's total of 46. Got no lean there. My guess is that game gets up to three for Cleveland if I had to judge the market. But uh, my guess is people will talk themselves into the Cleveland bounce back by then. But if you can get it to less than three, that's pretty good value given that three is the most common outcome for a differentiating uh, total in an NFL game. So that is your first look ahead. As we went through it together, we'll bring on guests from the gambling shows and do that going forward. Last but not least in 20 minutes, this is the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Danny Parkins Show. It is the Danny Parkins Show, and I appreciate very much that you hang out with me on Sunday nights. Also appreciate that you call CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line of 855-212-4227, brought to you by GEICO Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. During the break, I was reading this uh, ESPN.com article that says Brady all in on Pat's signing of Brown, according to Robert Kraft. Yeah, I bet he is, because the contract isn't guaranteed, so if he acts a fool, he's gone. They don't need him. He's the ultimate luxury item but he's the best receiver that Brady's had since Randy Moss in 2007. So I'm sure early 40s Tom Brady is thrilled to get back end of his prime Antonio Brown. It's just crazy that that's going to happen and has been allowed to happen. And by the way, we're going to learn real quick whether or not What Antonio Brown has been doing for the last four days or four months, depending on how far back you want to go, is all an act. And if this was all an elaborate ruse to just get to New England. Because you don't go from fighting the league over a helmet, threatening to fight your general manager physically, secretly recording a conversation with your head coach going wild on social media to straight and arrow Patriot player instantly. Like Gronk had a little bit of leeway in New England, but most don't. If Antonio Brown becomes the model citizen and stops messing around. And creating headlines off the field and is just the perfect player, we'll know that this was just one big ruse. That he just wanted to go to New England. He wanted he, that he A wanted out of Pittsburgh and B wanted to go to New England. And if that happens, I'm serious. I do think that the NFL should have some sort of investigation into it. Because I tampering doesn't bother me when it's the unavoidable kind of tampering. The NBA, for instance. If free agency opens July 1st and contracts are signed and agreed to in principle at midnight, well, there's a cap on what the contracts can be. There are max contracts. So you can agree in principle and then work out the dotted lines and the guys all play together in the offseason and they're all friends and they all live you know, in Miami and California and stuff like that. So... It's impossible to have players not talk to each other and not try to team up. There's no way to undo that. So there's going to be a certain amount of tampering that you just have to deal with. But this, this made a mockery of the transaction process and it cost the Raiders a third and a fifth round pick. If you could prove that Antonio Brown Wanted to go to New England, but the Steelers wouldn't trade him to New England. But the Patriots said, hey, get traded somewhere. Or even if Drew Rosenhaus came up with it and said, hey, we'll get him traded somewhere from Pittsburgh and then we'll get cut from there. But whatever contract I can agree to with the new team. You've got to give him on a one-year deal. He wants a one-year prove-it contract with Tom Brady in New England so he can get a ring. Like, Let's just hypothetically say that was the conspiracy theory. And let's say the Patriots agreed to it. So he gets $30 million over two from Oakland. So he gets 15 from one from New England. You can't have that. It's submarines the Raiders' season – by all the dysfunction in training camp and it cost them draft picks going forward. I got no problem with player empowerment. I am pro player. I root for Antonio Brown. I like guys holding out and creating leverage and getting paid. And I, I like the NBA player moving. Like I I am a pro player guy. I really am, but this is complete nonsense. It made a mockery of the transaction period. It made a mockery of his value. And he very clearly was submarining his value and reputation to get out of Oakland. And he very clearly had an agreement in place with New England in order to do it. The only question that remains is, is that something that developed over the last 96 hours? Or is that something that developed over the last four months? Because if it developed over the last four months, then the Raiders have a huge beef. If it developed over the last four days, then, listen, there's probably nothing you can prove. But if this was something where, wink, wink, nod, nod, we're going to New England, even if we have to do it by way of whoever Pittsburgh will do business with, That's a huge problem because now you've circumvented the competitive balance of the league because Pittsburgh deliberately said, we will trade this guy because he's not worth the headaches, but we will not trade him to our fiercest AFC rival. And Antonio Brown said, oh, really? Watch me. Like if he's just doing this to spite Pittsburgh, yo, That is next-level pettiness. And on one level, like the video game level, the entertainment level, the talk show host level, I respect it. But you can't have that if you're Roger Goodell. You can't have a player get traded to a team, have no intention of signing with that team, and then being able to have a backroom deal in hand so that he can go the other direction. It'll just be... No one will ever do trades because no one will trust that the player in good faith is going to actually report to their new job. You just – you can't have that. If you could prove that that, w- that the the instincts and the motivation was to get to New England back when he was trying to get out of Pittsburgh, you've got to come down unbelievably hard on the Patriots. And there's no indication that that is actually what's happened and it probably won't be a paper trail. But you either would have to come down on the Patriots or on Drew Rosenhaus. Because that circumvents the competitive balance of your league. I have no idea if that is what happened, but we'll know pretty quick if Antonio Brown just starts acting normal. If he's just a normal guy and he's a patriot and he's like, you know who I really respect? Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, and Julian Edelman. I can't wait to play for Mr. Brady. Like Then start showing up early and bringing donuts and croissants then I honestly would launch an investigation into go all the way back to him getting out of Pittsburgh and see if you could figure out whether or not this was the end game all of long, because you can't have that in the NFL and it totally screws the competitive balance, which is one thing, but it screws the integrity of your transaction period. And it's going to make teams hesitant to actually pull the trigger on trades. And there aren't enough trades in the NFL As it already is. We'll get to last but not least coming up. This is the Danny Parkins show. With time running out, we still have a few questions we didn't get answers to. Danny Parkins gives us his thoughts on a couple of different stories in this week's edition of last but not least. Wrapping up another edition of the Danny Parkin Show, week one of the NFL season. My man, Ryan Hickey, the executive producer around here, asks the questions I weigh in and opine as we get ready to send you in to your work week. Ryan, what do you got for me?
0: All right, Danny. So we'll start with the biggest news of the week. Obviously, NFL is back, but Antonio Brown stole the headlines the entire week with his antics in Oakland, forced his way out from the Raiders to sign with the Patriots lost out on $30 million guaranteed in the process to demand his release. Oakland granted it and now he signed for a cheaper deal with the Patriots, seemingly a team he wanted to go to for a while now. Now, this kind of player movement and power, we see a lot in the NBA, have not seen it a lot in the NFL, at least so far. So do you see with what AB did and players seeing, I guess it, I guess it technically worked, it did work in his sense. Do you see this having a bigger impact on in the NFL in terms of either player behavior or how contracts are written and negotiated?
1: Well, I think the NBA influence on the NFL is multi-layered, but the biggest way will always be money and follow the money because the biggest thing that NFL players don't have that their peers in the NBA and Major League Baseball do have is guaranteed contracts. So, yeah, you see Antonio Brown make a leverage play and force his way out. And you could think of Jimmy Butler or Carmelo Anthony. Sure. You see Zeke holding out or Melvin Gordon holding out. That's common with running backs, and that will happen more. And you could say that's an NBA influence on the NFL. But Emmett Smith held out in Dallas, right? It's not exactly the same, but holdouts have been happening for a long time in the NFL. The impact is with the contracts, Kirk Cousins because he kept taking the franchise tag which was one year fully guaranteed of salary he was able to negotiate with the Vikings 3 years 84 million fully guaranteed because he had made so much money already that it wasn't that much of a risk he wasn't interested in incentives and roster bonuses it was no 3 years 84 million bucks you want me to be your quarterback 28 million a year guaranteed and that's what he did. Julio Jones said, "I don't think I'm gonna, I'm going to show up to training camp, but I don't think I'm going to play Week One unless I get a new deal." He got 66 million guaranteed, or it was like 64 of his 66 million fully guaranteed. I think that's what's going to start happening for the players who have already been paid. They're going to say, "I want a shorter deal." With a way higher percentage guaranteed because that more closely mimics how the NBA players are doing it. And then you can get paid multiple times if you're truly great because you come up for free agency in your contract here. It's obviously risky because whereas in basketball, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, whomever, they sign these one in one deals – Kevin Durant blew out his Achilles in the finals, he still was offered max contracts of all varying different lengths because he's Kevin freaking Durant, and you need superstars. If Julio Jones, after three years, blows out his Achilles, that's going to significantly alter his earning power. But what he gave up is he knows exactly what he's going to earn. So I think the influence is the truly great players who have already made – what we'll call generational wealth, you know, they've got eight figures banked. They can say, I'll take a shorter deal with higher guarantees because I'm not messing around with you can cut me or I got to show up for this OTA bonus or this roster bonus or any of that stuff. You want me on your team, you got to fully guaranteed my deal. So I, I think the leverage in the player empowerment stuff, that's secondary to what guys are willing to do for guaranteed contracts. Let's see what happens with Pat Mahomes at the end of the year. My guess is, just early forecasting, my guess is Pat Mahomes doesn't take a six-year deal. My guess is Pat Mahomes takes a three, maybe four-year deal max, get him through the next CBA negotiation, and then he will come up and be a free agent again at 27 years old. And my guess is he makes them rip up the rest of his rookie contract. Like, I think Pat Mahomes is going to totally change the game when it comes to contracts, not to mention what he's doing on the field. What's next?
0: All right, the fantasy football season in full swing today. Two players that had a ton of intrigue going into this year. Lamar Jackson, Ravens quarterback, balled the hell out. Threw for 324 yards, five touchdowns. He played in Yahoo. He got 34 fantasy points. And another guy with a lot of question marks, Kyler Murray. Slow start, but finished finish with 308 yards, two touchdowns. Did throw a pick in their tie with the Lions. He got 23 points in the Yahoo scoring system. So just those two alone, Lamar Jackson versus Kyler Murray, who will have the better fantasy year?
1: God, this is so close and so good. I love this question because these guys were two of the darlings. Running quarterbacks, got to have them in fantasy. Kyler Murray, transcendent, going to set the world on fire. Number one pick, too short. I'm a Lamar Jackson believer. I've been a believer in him since he was at Louisville. I think that that guy, people say he couldn't throw. He actually could. He just didn't really have much around him and was a rookie. He was playing before he should have. I think that both of them are going to be really good. I think both of them are going to be top 10 fantasy quarterbacks at the end of the year. And I lean Lamar Jackson simply because of the experience and because He's going to be committed to running a little bit more. Like Kyler Murray might run a little bit out of necessity, being 5'9. Lamar Jackson's going to run out of design. And I know that Kingsbury's doing the spread and RPOs, and there'll be plenty of design runs for Murray. But say Kyler Murray runs it 80 times, I think there's a chance Lamar Jackson runs it 160 times. You know, like Murray will run a lot, but Murray will run like Trubisky ran or like Josh Allen ran. Lamar Jackson might run like Mike Vick or Cam Newton. So to me, that will ultimately be the difference. I think both of them will be great. Both of them will be top 10. Both of them will run. But I think the sheer volume that Lamar Jackson is going to be committed to doing on the ground is going to be the difference between the two. I will give the slightest of edges to Lamar Jackson, but I would want both of them on my fantasy team, especially if you're in a two QB league and one of them can be your second quarterback. I would be going heavy for that. And by the way, if you're not playing in a two QB or super flex league, what are you doing? If you play in a one QB league, Pat Mahomes is probably a what? Third, fourth round pick. He should be the number one pick playing a league where quarterbacks are highly incentivized. That's where you got to have at least the super flex, if not two QB super flex means it can be a wide receiver or running back a tight end or a QB. I like the super flex because if you're in a 12 team league, everyone can't have three starting QBs on their roster for buys. So you can uh start two QBs most week, but then when one of them has a buy, if you don't have a third QB, you could slide in someone else. Whereas if you do the uh two QB league mandatory, you can't play with uh, twelve people. So go for the super flex and I like Lamar Jackson. What's next?
0: So, obviously, talked a lot about today's action, but let's go back to Thursday when the NFL season truly kicked off. Your Bears, Packers, a lot of hype, a lot of offensive question marks surrounding both teams. It turned into a defensive struggle. Packers won 10 3. Bears totaled just 274 yards. Not a great start to your Mitchell Trubisky MVP bet. So, simply, what happened with the Bears?
1: I hope it was rust. The glass-half-full analysis of what happened to the Bears was they didn't play at all in the preseason. They hadn't played since last year, obviously. There was a ton of pressure opening at home under the lights. Trubisky's been bad in national TV games, and the Packers' defense had eight new starters, and I said on our season prediction show that I think that the Packers' defense is going to be better than a lot of people think. Kevin King came back from the hamstring injury. Jair Alexander, I think, is a future all pro. Uh, Kenny Clark is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. They upgraded their outside linebackers with Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith. I think the Packers defense is going to be much better than people give it credit for. So hopefully, it was a combination of rust, nerves, and the Packers defense being better than people think. However, Trubisky looked like he didn't know the offense, and it's a really complicated offense. But that's inexcusable. Second year in the system, third year in the league, it's when you're supposed to make a jump. And he he took a step. He took a step backwards, though. But writing off the Bears would be a huge mistake. They lost week one last year in devastating fashion. They won 12 games. They lost week one this year in devastating fashion to the Packers. I don't know if they'll end up winning 12 because their schedule's tougher and they're not going to surprise anyone. But they've got the best defense in the NFL. So they're going to be in the vast majority of games, and I am a believer that it's virtually impossible that Trubisky got worse because what would the explanation be? He's got a better running back. His team is healthy, and it's his second year in the system and his third year in the league, and all of them have an extra year in the system. Why would he have gotten worse? What reason would there have been for him to regress? So I think it was a bad night. I think it's absolutely in play that Trubisky is a bust, but I still would bet against him being a bust, and I define bust by you don't want to give them a second contract, but the great what if of Chicago sports for the next 10 years will be what if they could have paired this defense with Pat Mahomes or Deshaun Watson because they had a shot at both, and instead they traded up for Mitch Trubisky, so hopefully Trubisky erases that question. But it ain't looking good, and oh, boy, are the natives restless around here. It's not good in Chicago when it comes to Trubisky and the Bears. And I can tell you right now from firsthand, I know people who know him. He is feeling that pressure to perform. And he's got a little bit of paralysis by analysis. He's a perfectionist. He works really hard. He's got a great work ethic. But I fear that he might be buckling under that pressure a little bit. What's last? What's last?
0: Finally, week one concludes with a Monday night doubleheader. Texans-Saints meet in the Superdome. First game in the Dome for the Saints since their infamous missed pass interference call that cost them a trip to the Super Bowl. The second game, Denver, Vic Fangio making his Broncos head coaching debut. Going to Oakland, which obviously has been the center of attention in the sports world. So how do you see these two games going? All right, I'll start with the
1: easier of the two first. I know this is the public side of it. I don't know how you could be betting the Raiders right now. The Antonio Brown dysfunction is one thing, but who's catching the ball? And they had double-digit rookies make the team, including four undrafted free agent rookies. That is abysmal. Abysmal. So I don't think the Raiders – I think the Raiders are got four wins written all over them. Bradley Chubb and Von Miller is the best pair – of edge rushers in the league. Vic Fangio is one of, if not the best defensive coaches in the league. I like the Broncos. As for Saints-Texans, I'm a believer in the Drew Brees regression. So I got Deshaun Watson and the Texans pulling that one out. I actually think the Texans are going to surprise some people in a very competitive, wide-open division. So I'm not too high on the Saints. I think the Texans will be fine. Thank Andrew Filippone from Pittsburgh for joining the show. Ryan Hickey, my executive producer. Peter Schwartz with the updates. Everybody back in New York for keeping us on the air. I very much appreciate you. My name is Danny Parkins. I do afternoons during the week on 670 The Score in Chicago. You can follow me on Twitter at Danny Parkins. Amy Lawrence coming up next. This is CBS Sports Radio. You could spend the
0: weekend doing the same old whatever or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai.